in 1 Samuel chapter 10. I'll read one verse to you. And if it will be okay tonight uh, to keep your Bibles open, and I, want, I just want to mention some other verses here to you for what God has laid on my heart for this evening. In 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 25, then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. He wrote it in a book. He marked it down. Now, while that sounds interesting and we have that saying and we've heard that saying all of our life, uh, the question is, what did he mark down? Well, by the time you get to chapter seven into chapter eight of the writings of 1 Samuel, you'll find out that the people had become disgruntled with the fact that they weren't like everybody else. They wanted to have what everyone else had. They wanted a king. So they approached Samuel the prophet about uh, God providing them a king. Samuel immediately, uh, he rejected that idea, but God spoke to him as he sought the Lord more about it And the Lord said, it's not what I want, but it's what I will allow. Do you know that everything that God allows in your life, he may allow it, but it may not be the best thing. You you may get what you want, but you may wish that you didn't get it by the time you get there. So they go ahead and it's really the old saying, I know that words are not phrased this way in your Bible, the perfect will of God and the the permissible will of God. But that's really what it is a picture of. God said, I wanna be your king. And really it wasn't, Samuel took it personal. He thought they were rejecting him. But God said, it's not that they're rejecting you, Samuel. They have rejected me. See, God had established Israel like no other nation has ever been established. It was what we call a theocracy. God was the head of it. But they wanted a monarch. To rule. So they were trying to move it to a monarchy instead of a theocracy. They didn't want God, they wanted a king because everybody else had a king and therefore that's what they wanted. So eventually God allowed it and we know this chapter, chapter 10 starts off by Samuel taking the vial of oil and anointing him. Later on, he is presented as king again before the people and they all accept him. By the time you get to chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, he's recognized as king once again. So first of all, we see the fact that there are times in life when we've gotta make a choice. We've gotta select one of two things. God sometimes will leave two options before us. And if you're not careful, you can get your own desires ahead of God's desires. The truth of the matter is, it's not what I want, it's what God wants. And, and I'll say this, any church that ever starts with a premise of people getting what they want instead of what God wants is a church that is doomed to die spiritually. I've seen it over and over again. People will, they'll fuss, they'll fight, uh, they'll do anything they can to override God's will. They get what they want and the church dies. I've seen it over and over again. See, God doesn't, God doesn't work the way that we work. God has a perfect plan. And when we get out of that, we'll feel the effects of that. 
So they made the choice. They made the selection. They made it of their own decision. But be careful. You make your bed, you're gonna have to lie in it. And that's exactly what happened. They got a king like everybody else, but they forgot. Everybody else already had a king. Therefore, everybody else already had a military. Everybody else already had a battle plan. Everybody else already had security. Everybody else already had rulers and leaders put in place. They didn't have any of this. This is their first time of trying to rely upon a king they'd never sat under a king before. So now they're faced with some critical, critical, terrible problems that come against them. One thing is when you get to chapter 11, Nahash, the Ammonite, decides that now is a good time to test them. Since they've got a new king, that probably means they don't have an organized military yet. They probably don't have a battle plan. They got what they wanted, but do they know what to do with it? And that's, that's the premise of a lot of things. I've watched the news just a little bit over the past couple of days, and you know, uh, these lotteries together like up to, what is it, one and three quarter billion dollars? and everyone talking about what they're gonna do with it, and I just sit there and laugh. I mean, if you don't know what to do with a paycheck, I doubt seriously you know what to do with billions of dollars. I am preaching tonight. See, we, we want things, but when we get it, handling it is another thing altogether. So they realize uh, we're, we're going to test them. So Nahash goes to Jabesh Gilead, and he surrounds the entire city. So the first thing he does is he surrounds the people of God. They're surrounded. And now Saul is given his first challenge. You rest assured of this. Any time that you take any kind of authority, soon it will be challenged. There'll come a challenge to it. To whom much is given, much is required is the New Testament teaching of it. Well, that's exactly what happened. This challenge came. So they said, let's see what Israel is made of. Well, they thought it would be no problem at all. So the men of Jabesh Gilead, they figured it out real quick. They thought, we've got a new king. We've got what we wanted, but there is a problem. We don't know if they'll defend us or not. Now, I don't know about you, but I love people, but I don't trust everybody. I would rather trust God as trust people. People will let us down. All of it, that's not me, that's you, anyone else. You'll get in situations where people will let you down. But can I say this? God will never let you down. So first of all, it comes a reality. We've done it our way, so now we're gonna to have to figure it out our way. How are we gonna overcome this? So Jabesh Gilead says, I know, I, I know we've got a king. I know that Saul is the king. I know he's head and shoulders above every other man. But you know what? I'm not so sure that he can find his way out of a paper bag. Maybe we better come up with a better idea. Let's make a covenant with the Ammonites and, and see what they think if we're willing to come to them and just surrender to them. So they come out and say, listen, we're willing to surrender. And Nahash says, well, that's great, but if you wanna surrender, you're gonna pay the price. And the price is this. I'm going to take out one of your eyes, all of the men, your right eyes in, in verse two of chapter 11. 
You'll have to have your right eye thrust out. If you're going to make this covenant and, and our army will not kill you, but we'll let you live, but you're going to have a reproach on you, a mark from this day forward because he knew that if they had one eye removed, it would make them weaker. They could never rise up in strength again. He would continue to have full power over them. So he said, there'll be a price to pay to get what you want. So if you want this covenant, and let me, let me just stop right here. The church had better quit making deals with the devil. Because every time the church makes a deal with the devil, you lose something. In this case, they lost, they would have lost their vision. So they said, if you would, just give us three days about this, seven days rather, about this matter. Let us decide what's going to happen. So they give them the period of time of seven days when you get to verse three. And during this seven days, they're trying to weigh out. Is it all right to live in reproach? Do we wanna live with this mark on us and still have our life? Are we gonna trust in a king that God has appointed, God gave him to us? Are we gonna trust in him? Or are we gonna serve the enemy? Boy, it's quiet now. And that's where we're at. You've got a choice to make. What will it be? The world or the Lord? You gonna trust God to take care of you? The Lord to provide for you? The Lord to help you? Who are you gonna trust? Well, it seems like a good choice. After all, they are surrounded. After all, they can't fight them themselves. But somebody gets a message to the king. And when the king gets the message, the spirit of the Lord comes on him when you get to verse six. And when the spirit of the Lord gets on him, he gets stirred. His anger is kindled greatly. He takes a yoke of oxen and he hews them in pieces and he scatters them throughout the coast of Israel. And when they're scattered, he sends a message with them. He said, you'd better come and fight and you better come against this enemy because if you don't, this is what's gonna happen to you and to your oxen. So the word went out across the coast. We've got to come together to fight the enemy. If we don't lock together, we're gonna to be like this oxen that you've received a piece of. We're going to be hewn to pieces by the enemy and we're gonna be scattered abroad. And he said, so you better rally to fight. They had great fear that came upon them. Suddenly, they knew they weren't organized. They knew that they, they weren't equipped, but yet they knew they had to fight the enemy. So by the time you get to verse eight, 300,000 of them show up to fight the Ammonites. And 30% of, or 10% of that crowd, 30,000 of them show up from Judah. Now you know the name Judah means praise. That tells me something. Generally, you do good to get 10% of the church to praise. You're doing good if you can get 10% to praise. Have you ever wondered why did he separate Judah's name separately from the other? The other's 300,000. You think the attention will be drawn to them. I'll tell you why. Because I don't care what your enemy is. I don't care what you're facing. The truth of the matter is the power is in praise to God. 
and we don't praise God after the fact. We praise God before we ever get in the battle. So he said, if I can get some praisers to show up, things are going to happen. And he said, if some of you would start to understand that yes, you made a decision, you put Saul in as king, it may not be the right decision, but God has allowed it, so what you ought to do is stop praising Saul and start praising God. Because Judah is a symbol of praise to the Lord God Almighty. I don't care how hard you can fight. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care what a keen mind you have. I don't care about your abilities, your plans, your schemes, uh, all the other things. Uh, I'm here to tell you the devil is not worried about any of that. But I tell you what he does worry about. If some folks uh, catch hold of the fact uh, of the power that's in praise, uh, if they get a hold of that, uh, he knows uh, that he's in trouble. So now they're stirred. Can I tell you what I have prayed for tonight's service? God would stir you. God would stir you. I get so sick of preaching to dead people. Travel this country over, spend my whole time trying to see people get stirred up a little bit. Some people say, you're not gonna stir me no matter what. Then die and get your eye thrust out. You'll lose your vision if you don't get stirred. If we don't get stirred way down inside and see things begin to happen, you know what we saw Sunday night? Do you know that could be every service in this church? Do you know what God has done for us? Do you know what God has poured out on us? And the devil says, that's all there is. Oh! So he found some strong men to carry the message to the inside. And he said, take them this message. You let them know that yes, you're surrounded. And yes, it looks like you're gonna lose. And you can't see what's happening outside the city. See, that's the devil's tactic. If you can't see very far, then he's trying to cripple you with fear because he doesn't want you to operate with faith. An African impala is a small creature, very small creature. And the African impala has great ability to leap. It can leap nine to 10 feet. But do you know that they can keep an African impala inside of a cage, inside of a fence area rather, not a cage, inside of fence land, even though it has the ability to leap four times the height, three and four times the height of this pulpit. They can keep it pinned in with a fence no taller than this pulpit. You know why? Even though it has the ability to leap, an African impala will never leap if it cannot see where its feet is going to land. So all they've got to do is just keep the fence above head height. If it's above head height, 
They can't see on the other side. And even though they can easily leap over it, they're not going to leap over it because they can't see where their feet's going to land. Does that sound familiar to some of you? I'm afraid to do that, preacher. If I say that, I'll go out on a limb. Let me assure you, faith is the most solid ground that you can ever stand on in all of your life. As long as you continue to speak fear, then all you're going to reap is fear. But if you start to say, it really doesn't matter where I land, God always lands on his feet. And God's always upright. And God never gets weak. And God never gets tired. And God never gets weary. And God's never concerned about it. God never runs out of money. God never runs out of power. God can see what I can see. And if we'll leap by faith, God will honor you. You get stirred up. Thank you, Brian. You're not going to stop me, devil. I'm going to preach. Bring the monitors down a hair. Monitors down just a little bit. Thank you. I want you to be able to hear me. They got to come down a little bit, guys. He's getting there. He's getting there. You don't get it unless you ask for it. Thank you. You're doing a great job. John's not here. That's a big job. Thank you. That's getting better. Yeah, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. I don't see one thing wrong with giving prayer requests. But I tell you one thing, when are we gonna start praising God that he sees it as though it is? Instead of us sitting back, constantly worrying about it and fretting about it, I'm here to tell you, now listen, folks don't like this and we'll run folks off. I don't wanna run anybody off, but I refuse to sit here until we die. I'm saying there is a world that needs saved. There is a message that needs preached and somebody ought to get stirred up and tell the devil, God is our Lord and beside him there's none other and he has won the victory. 
verse nine, the messengers tell him, by this time tomorrow, before the sun is hot, God's going to bring deliverance. Some of you are into it, and I know you're into it, and you're fighting the hardest battle you've ever fought in your life. But you know what he said? You can't see what's going on from out here. But I see a third of a million that's getting ready to come against the enemy. You can't see it right now because of the pressure that's on you and the heartache that's on you and the things that's blinding your mind. But if you could only see in the heavenlies, every angel is coming to attention. Thousands upon thousands are overwatching the church of the living God. And the Lord says, you can't see it from where you're at, but from my point of view, I'm in control and I'm gonna take care of all of it. You just trust me with it. I've got it in my hands by this time. Tomorrow, you know what he's saying? Just hold on one more day. Just hold on one more day. Help is on the way. God says, by this time tomorrow, the answer will come. I know you're into it, but hold on just one more day. Just hold on. God's taking care of all of it. 